FC Nation podcast, telling the stories of the beautiful game. I'm your host, Dustin Nation. Welcome. This is episode four of the FC Nation podcast. When watching the match just isn't enough, soccer fans turn to the media for news, features, and access to their favorite players and teams. We read pre-match material. We watch Twitter feeds. We click on every transfer rumor. We read post-match material. We look for quotes from players and managers, and we listen to opinions to see if what we saw aligns with the thoughts of trusted experts. Most of this information and content comes from journalists and pundits who make careers out of finding information and sharing it with us, the fans. If you're like me, sometimes when you think of a sports reporter, you think of the old cliche of a man with a press card stuck in a reporter hat, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, waiting outside a baseball stadium to talk to a succinct and reticent player. And we all know it's not exactly like that anymore, if it ever was like that. And having gotten to know some soccer reporters through podcasting with FC Dallas, I thought I'd try to get to the bottom of what it's actually like to do that job both here and in the UK. So, to help me tell the story, I reached out to a journalist who I found from my own consumption of soccer news and opinion. He lives in the UK and neither reports on or has reported on all the major leagues in Europe. He even reported on MLS for a few seasons. His name is Carl Matchett. I asked him about how he got started the feelings towards the MLS in the UK, his ups and downs, why he writes for multiple outlets, and much, much more. And so here's my chat with Carl Matchett. Hey Carl, thanks for joining me today. No problem. How you doing? Doing all right. I know you you've uh, you just mentioned offline that you're you're moving houses, so I certain certainly appreciate you taking the time to be here. No worries at all. So I found you on This Is Anfield. I'm a Liverpool fan. Uh, for the for those of you who aren't and you're listening, please don't hold that against me. Um, but you uh, you are a, a journalist in in England, and uh, so I know you write for other sites. So why don't you tell us your story and like how and all the places you write for and how you got here? Okay, well, uh, I actually started with a company stateside. Um, so I was initially uh, one of the first writers for Bleacher Report back before it was taken over by Turner, before it became a regular media outlet, if you like. Um, and mm-hmm. it just used to do contributions there. Basically, I used to do you know, maybe one a week, a couple a week. Um, and then I took to them in the end after it started to be a little more uh, professional outlet. And they started to really get organized in terms of their world football content, the soccer content, um, as to how they wanted to do it. I took them the idea of doing live match coverage um, as a regular job. And although it was only you know weekend work, obviously, when the matches were taking place, that was really where I first started to get involved on a, on a working level as opposed to a voluntary level, if you like. And of course, mm-hmm. people stateside will know Bleach Report went from strength to strength, and uh, I continued with them. I was with Bleach Report for, for several seasons. I ended up taking what was the equivalent of a full-time contract with them. I've always been a freelancer, but I basically had a full-time role with Bleach Report for a number of years. Um, eventually, I was living in Spain at that time, and eventually I moved back to the UK, um, living in London to uh, obviously try and progress my career and 
do a little bit more work with other people. And uh, that's basically what happened. And since then, I've worked with quite a few media outlets, as you say. I do work with This Is Anfield on a regular basis, and uh, that's where we are today. Excellent. So I know from talking to you and seeing some of the things that you've posted online that you've also covered the MLS. Uh, what was that like for you living in the UK? Uh, interesting. It was difficult at times, obviously. And to be honest, I didn't cover it in the way that perhaps um, an outlet over in in the States might do in so much depth. Um, the way I usually approach if I'm going to be covering a new league, which I've done several times in my career already, is I'll mm-hmm. basically take a year to just watch as much as I can, get to familiar with the teams, get familiar with the players there. Then the next year, I'll start doing a little bit of freelance work. And then the following year, so it would be the third season I've been watching it, basically, then I would involve myself a lot deeper in the league and be producing a lot more analysis or opinion pieces, that sort of work. So really, as far as I got with MLS was to do that second season. Um, I did a lot of sort of match previews, match reporting, that sort of thing. So the work itself wasn't hugely in-depth. Um, mm-hmm. Covering it, obviously, the time difference is a bit of a factor. Um, it was a case some weeks of picking and choosing which matches would be watched and which teams I hadn't seen for a week or so, that sort of thing. But, it, you know, it wasn't too bad, to be perfectly honest. I've certainly had to cover a lot worse in uh, in the English teams when they're playing in the preseason over in Australia or China or even in the States. So you get used to it eventually. <laughs> so what was your uh, general thought about the American soccer? Like, how did you, what did, how does it compare to what you see on a daily basis there? Yeah. I mean, in fairness, you can't really compare the quality levels because obviously most of the time over here, I'm covering the Premier League, the Bundesliga and La Liga over in Spain. And, you know, they're three of the best leagues anywhere in the world. Probably the three best leagues, maybe with Italy in there as well. So quality mm-hmm. wise, you can't really compare it. But I have to say, I really enjoyed MLS and I still watch it now, even though I don't really cover it so much anymore. Um, I find the entertainment value extremely good. I like the fact that there is a, an element of, of leveling out the competition, if you like. Um, obviously, as a, an outsider, if you like trying to get to grips, it's always exciting to find new players who you don't know quite as much about and realizing that you know, this player isn't known on a, on a European level or on a worldwide level just yet, but you can see that they are going to be a really, really good player in a year or two. Um, so that kind of developmental aspect or the discovery of it is always something that appeals to me regardless of the league. Very cool. What is, what is the demand? Like, I know you covered MLS, but what do, do people in the UK care about MLS at all? Like, what's the demand level for, for this type of content about, the ML, about MLS over there? Honestly, I think it's mixed. Um, I don't know a huge amount of people who watch it on a week-to-week basis. That's the truth. Um, I think sometimes there can be a big lift in excitement or in interest if there's a a major signing goes over there. For example, when Zlatan recently went over to LA Galaxy from Manchester United, obviously something like that would cause a bit of a spike in interest. Or when there's a big notable match. Um, Occasionally, if there's you know, a lot of goals or a particular score line which can catch people's interest. And then you'll find that people are talking about the highlight shows that they've seen or something like that. But I would say on a week to week basis, it's still got a bit of a distance to go yet to really capture people's attentions as well as imagination. 
Sure. And I think that's to be expected when you've got something in your backyard that is like, that is of the quality of the Premier League. It's, yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean there's, there's a saturation level there as well. I mean, it's not just the Premier League, you know, over here for a number of years, we've had a lot of La Liga content. Um, we have obviously all the European competitions midweek, the internationals to fill your time in between as well, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, it's really not until this year, this season over in England, um, the two major broadcasters for the for the soccer, uh, Sky Sports and BT Sport. And this year, neither of those have um, La Liga or Serie A. They've come with a new provider who are only online at present. So there is perhaps a little bit of a gap for people who aren't always watching the Premier League and like their external football, if you like, if we say you know anything over uh, abroad or overseas then perhaps they're going to pick up MLS at the moment because some of those games are still on. Um, but as I say, it's a bit of a saturation limit. And if you do watch two or three leagues already, another one which is a bit more of a minor league probably isn't going to be as much of a priority. Yeah, most people only have so much time in their days. <laughs> Unfortunately, true. Who needs sleep? There's soccer to be watched. Yeah, it's overrated anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's um, let's take a step back here and let's go back to talking about you and, and your career a little bit. Why don't you walk us through kind of like a typical week for you and match day and all the things leading up to and, and I guess coming after that match day? Um, well, that's had a bit of a change for me over the last year or so, to be honest. Um, it used to be the case that I would work um, a lot of the week for Bleacher Report covering the Spanish football. Uh, that would be sort of Monday to Friday. So I'd be covering Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, or Real Madrid, something like that, doing a few opinion pieces on them, um, watching obviously the matches during the week. But my main written work would be surrounding those teams and then my German work and then the work for Liverpool as well. So that would be mostly written work during the week. And then at the weekends for a long time, I was doing the live text commentaries for Bleacher Report or for whoever else wanted them. So that could involve perhaps three or four matches in one day, um, which would be on the live commentaries. And then the other weekend day would very much depend on what was around the area. It could be that I would go to a match um, as press, or it could be that I would watch a couple of matches at home, just honestly depended on a week to week basis. I left Bleacher Report last year though. and. Um, since then, it's quite different. Um, I do a lot more shift work, uh, a lot more work for other media outlets now than I did beforehand. So it could be that I'm on a news, de- a news desk one or two days a week sometimes, or it could be that they want me for, say, for example, during the World Cup, I was working with ITV for sort of four days out of every five, something like that, while it was obviously very intensive, a lot of work to get through in a short space of time. So it, when you're freelancing, it really, really does depend a, on what work you're able to secure, and B, on how the fixtures look, what games are being played, what teams are playing, everything else like that. I do have certain mm-hmm. constants, obviously, like you know Liverpool, when I know that Liverpool are playing, I'll be recording a podcast in the lead up to it, or I'll do a post-match piece straight after the game, something like that. But by and large, it can vary hugely from one week to another. So you mentioned you're a, a freelancer. Do you, you don't have a quote unquote employer right now, a main employer then? No, no, I don't. Um, to be honest, since I started doing this, I've been a freelancer all the time. Um, as I said earlier, I had a a contract with bleach report for quite a long time, but other than that, I've worked for different media outlets, um, at different times and that amount can change on a week to week basis. 
from one uh, from one employer to another, if you like, depending on how much work they want or how, what regularity they want, uh, what competition it is, everything can change very, very quickly. And is that just because that type of, like, I guess, staff writer is hard to come by over there or... or- uh, is that just a choice that you've made? A bit of both, to be honest. I mean, football writing over here in general, or being a sports journalist, it's it's extremely competitive. Um, there are an awful lot of people, especially graduates coming through, and that's exactly what they want to do. They want to write about sports or they want to write about football. Um, and then even with, let's say, outside of the mainstream media, you've got a lot of online outlets or you know whatever it may be that hold their own blogs or online content or anything like that. So there's a lot of writing to be done, but getting hold of it can be difficult. And the very nature of freelance work is not just for a journalist, but for anybody who's in freelance, you can have the work one week and lose it the next week without any kind of warning whatsoever. Um, and I think you find sometimes with online revenue streams for the companies themselves, for the websites themselves, they have it, they lose it, they try something else, they don't quite work as well as they wanted to. And the first thing they're going to do is cut back on freelance work, which is understandable. Obviously, they have their own staff to keep in place. So it really just does depend completely. Um, As I say, I can be in the newsroom um, as a freelancer doing uh, sports shifts or news shifts or anything like that for a couple of days. And then I might not hear off that particular newsroom again for another week or another month. Um, it can be varying extremely from one month to the next. Um, we take the recent world cup, for example, I think I've worked more days, uh, more hours there than I slept in the next two months put together. So, you know, it's just how it goes sometimes <laughs> you just take, make the most of it and, uh, move on and find something else. So has the, the new prevalence of independent media outlets with the ease it is to like make a website and start producing content is, is that, has that changed what you, how you guys do your jobs or is that, or does it, has it changed how you do your jobs <laughs> and, and the access that you have to, to write content? Uh, to an extent, I think sometimes um, perhaps it can make it a little bit easier as an entry level um, piece of work, let's say um, for someone who hasn't worked in a newsroom or if they don't have a, a job yet, they're already doing something else outside of journalism and they're trying to get involved in it. For example, it might be that that kind of outlet is the place where they can pick up maybe one column a week or one column every couple of weeks. And that's their way into things. Um, for someone who's already working in journalism, that can be a way to just top up your income. So from both of those points of view, it's a positive. On the downside, of course, they're not necessarily always going to pay as well as a true media outlet, let's say, or somewhere where the emphasis is on mm-hmm. quality rather than just getting people to click on the website. So it swings and roundabouts. I mean, it can obviously pull the, the quality of content down. I mean, we all know about clickbait websites who just go for any kind of nonsense they can get their hands on they're not going to pay for that kind of work because it's low quality, it's low expectation, and it's all just about the numbers. So you're not likely to be able to carve yourself out uh, an entire career, let's say, or an entire salary just from doing that. Um, You don't want to write about transfer rumors all the time? No, I mean, everything has its place, let's be honest. I mean, I've done enough of mine work at different times. I even had my own website at one point. So I know you've got to get people getting the clicks on the website for there to be any point in it existing. Uh, it's not just about the money, you know, but if nobody's reading it, then did you even write it to an extent? 
But at the same time, just putting things on paper just for the sake of it being out there and somebody might click on it is is not really a sustainable business method, I don't think. Um, and certainly isn't something that you'd want to spend all the live long day doing if what you really want is to be talking about the actual stories around the game of football. For sure. With the amount of teams you guys have, I think it was 72 teams in the top three leagues, something like that. 90 odd. 90? Okay. Yeah, so even leagues, more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, do journalists get to pretty much choose which, what they want to write about or do they like, do they have to, do you avoid teams that you're a, f- a fan of in order to be objective or how's all that work? Well, I guess that would firstly depend on who you're working for. Um, I mean, if we take the example first of a, a national newspaper, let's say you will okay. typically have, um, a hierarchy, which is something along the lines of the sports editor, the chief sports editor, they won't necessarily be writing too much all the time, obviously, but they'll be delegating tasks elsewhere and doing the editing work themselves. So you might have a chief football correspondent. So if you've got one weekend of a typical lineup of Premier League matches, well, that person might head off to the biggest game of all. Let's say there's a Chelsea against uh, Manchester City, something like that. That's where you can expect them to be. Then there might be regional outlets with the newspaper, or there might be specific journalists who are assigned to some teams or some areas. So there could be, let's say, a Northwest correspondent or a London correspondent, or there could be each team has somebody assigned to them, a Liverpool or an Arsenal, that sort of thing. Um, Generally, then, they would have staffers um, or people in the newsroom or wherever it happened to be, depending on the setup of of that organization, who might then just do the written work. They wouldn't necessarily be at the game or speaking to the managers or anything like that, but they would be covering the news as it breaks from the newsroom. So it really does depend on how everything is set up within the organization. Obviously, not everybody has that amount of staff. Some newspapers will only cover one particular area. Um, We have like the London Evening Standard here, for example. So they're only going to cover the London teams. But this year, they've tried Mm -hmm. to put a few people in place, again, to get more people to the websites and to get a bit more interest in, in the paper overall, who are covering major leagues or major teams elsewhere. So it really just does depend. Um, But generally, you can imagine that the Premier League and the biggest clubs, they are going to be covered the most simply because there's the most interest in them. They have the most supporters. They have the biggest players. So people are going to click or they're going to pick up the paper and they're going to want to read about those people. Um, There are specific outlets in England who are dedicated to, let's say, the non-league scene and the football league scene. So for fans of teams in those leagues, it's you know maybe even better that they go to those or they might do both. They might follow a team in the Premier League as well. But um, most of the time, unless it's a big name or a big story, there will be limited information on the biggest websites and the biggest media outlets about teams outside the Premier League. Gotcha. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing for a journalist to cover a team that they're a fan of? If they, if you came in as a Liverpool fan and now you're covering Liverpool, do you think that that it helps or hurts your ability to to cover them? Uh, I think if you're doing your job as a journalist properly, it shouldn't matter in the slightest. Um, obviously, we all have an element of fandom about us when we're maybe watching the game, but when it comes to actually writing mm-hmm. about it, if you're assessing somebody's performance or 
what you heard in a press conference or whatever it is, that shouldn't impair. It doesn't matter whether you support them or not. You should be reporting on what is and what it means, not your point of view of what could have been better or something like that as a supporter. Um, there's a time and a place for that. And let's say, for example, mm-hmm. when I'm in the newsroom and I'm writing about Liverpool, you know, you've said earlier that uh, you support Liverpool and I uh, write for This Is Anfield. So if I'm working for ITV or something like that, and I'm writing a piece about Liverpool, well, that's news. That's not for me to impart my opinion on it, something which has happened. When I'm writing for This Is Anfield mm-hmm. and I'm putting an editorial together for, of my own, there's the place for my opinion. So there's always room for it, of course, um, but you have to be objective and it doesn't necessarily have to always be colored by the fact that you are a supporter or you absolutely don't like this team even um, at the other end of the scale. It should just be about what's right. I like that. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we try to do anyway. Right. No, I mean, we're all human, sure. right? I always, I, I cover FC Dallas for a podcast here in, in the States. And I'm, my friends always ask me, you know, like, how do you, how do you be a balanced being a fan and then actually talking about it intelligently? Um, and I always tell them I watched the game twice because I watched the first time as a fan so that I can, you know, feel the moment and everything. And then I'll go back and I'll watch the game again to put kind of like my analytics hat on or my impartialness hat Absolutely on right. yep. and, and let Yep. Um, so kind of along those lines in, in England and in some of the other leagues, you know, there's, we'll just, let's put it this way. The media can, can create a lot of attention about or towards subjects or managers negative or positively, and, and they can put a lot of attention on it. Do you think that with the, influence that the media can can exert on a club based on guiding public opinion do you think that british media have too much influence over clubs and how they run their teams at times uh it's a bit of a double-edged sword that question i mean i i would say i would say (laughs) no okay overall i would say no um the media does have power and responsibility there's no two ways about it but with one has to come the other Now, we've all seen sometimes that particular outlets can, whether it's carry a grudge or go over the top or whatever it is against a particular player or team or anything like that. Um, But at the same time, clubs more and more, especially in England right now, have isolated the media to the point that going into a press conference, there will be news items put on the club website just before the press conference starts, giving out all the answers basically as a, an exclusive interview, let's say with the manager or something like that, before the questions are even asked by the media. Because they know what's going to be asked. They know where the interest is about, let's say, a player who's currently injured or someone who's been out of the team or if there's any problems, that sort of thing. They'll put it out beforehand. And it renders the mm-hmm. press conference obsolete to, an, to a point. Um, and of course, there is a lot less, let's say, media access with players than there might have been previously. And there's a lot more control over what you can ask than there might have been previously. Um, So it cuts both ways. You know, Uh, the media is not there to play favorites to the club. The media is there to report the news um, as they see it. Now, if they do cross what the club feels is a, a particular mark, well, then so be it. And there has been repercussions before. You know, there have been instances of clubs banning even the local newspapers, not just the media ones, but the local newspapers from from the training ground or from press conferences or anything. So there's always got to be this 
weird balance in the relationship between not criticizing just for the sake of it and you can't just be nice for the sake of it either you can't just be a mouthpiece for the club you know otherwise there's no point in you being media so there's a balance to be struck but overall i don't think that it's too bad from the media save for a few instances particularly regarding individual players gotcha well let's let's take and kind of pivot the conversation away from kind of the journalism and, and media as, as a whole. And let's kind of go back to you and, and your experiences. Um, what we'll start off with kind of like a, I guess a, a softball question. Uh, what has been your favorite moment um, covering football so far? Do you have, can you put your finger on one? <sighs> God, uh... I mean, I'm lucky that while I've been doing this, Liverpool in particular have had some amazing times, you know. Um, we've been to cup finals. We've had some fantastic attack-minded teams. Um, I mean, I've been doing the live commentaries on some games where it's been fantastic to watch and almost unbelievable to report on, you know. I've done the live commentary for the League Cup final when Liverpool won. Um I think probably being at Anfield as a reporter for the Europa League semi-final against Borussia Dortmund um, would probably be a, one of the highest points uh, with a last-minute winner there and everything that came with it. Um, it's it's difficult to pick just one, to be honest. You know, I've, I've been able to do quite a lot of work, which has been tremendous. You know, I've been to Wembley, I've been to cup finals, I've covered all sorts of highlights and matches and world cups and tournaments and everything. So I've been extremely fortunate in that regard. Um, but I think if you're just picking one, you have to go with something that you were, you were present with, not just actually doing the work of. So I might just go for that Dortmund match. That's a good one. It was a, it was a fun moment. <laughs> you could say that even the press box, which is normally <laughs> reserved and, uh, neutral, let's say, even if most of the people in it are not, uh, at that moment, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't, it was not neutral. <laughs> um, so if you mentioned earlier that a lot of people coming out of, out of school and starting to get, cut their teeth into writing for, I guess, for writing uh -huh. football. What, uh, what's been, if you could give them one lesson that you learned the hard way so that they couldn't, or so they mm -hmm. didn't have to, what would that lesson be? Uh, I think it would be in terms of going after new work. Um, there comes a point when even if you've been in a job for quite a long time, you might want to leave or you might have to leave or whatever the case may be. I would say that, especially if they go into this as a freelancer, you need to be prepared that anything can just disappear at a moment's notice. Um, I think it was possibly my second season as a full-time freelancer. It could have been the third season, something like that. Anyway, obviously, as a freelancer, as a self-employed worker of any kind, you, you do your own finances or you have someone to do them for you. So you, you need to keep track of what you're earning, basically. You don't just get a fixed salary every single month and it can change. So I've done that since I started. And I think it was in the second season, as I say, I had a very busy month one time. I made a few pictures and um, a couple of people had asked me to do some work and it all went very well. And I had the busiest month that I'd actually ever had since I started doing this. And I thought, wow, this is great. The following month was the worst month since I started. Um, it went that quickly from a great high to nearly no work at all. 
Um, so I think that is probably the hardest lesson, which you're going to find out at some point, And only then do you obviously realize that you need to prepare for that. And you've got to a, be able to deal with it mentally and not just panic straight away, but B, be able to react and find more work and push yourself to keep finding more contacts and more possibilities and come up with more ideas and all the rest of it. Um, if you do go freelance and you're literally living on a wage that you have to find and earn yourself rather than a fixed amount month to month, then it can be a little bit worrisome or scary. So I've managed to do it just fine and I like doing it. I prefer doing it because there is no ceiling. That's the other side of it, of course. Um, but it is something that you have to learn about. And I would say that, that you've got to be prepared for the challenges which come and, and be able to react accordingly. Would you think, would you say that that's what most people struggle with in the, in the industry is just, is the financial ups and downs and the, the work coming and going, or is there something else that, that is what you would say is the kind of the hardest part about doing your job? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it depends on each person, you know, some people, some people simply don't like that. They want to have a, an amount they know that they're going to have in their bank account every month. Um, and it's not so much the looking for the work that they don't like, but just the uncertainty. Um, for other people, it's maybe that they want to do a particular aspect of the work and they're being made to go a bit of a longer route and they don't like the work that they're having to go through initially. So, you know, they drop out at some point and go and do something else. Uh, I don't think any of it is right or wrong. It's simply each individual circumstance and what they're good with and what they want to do. Uh, it just is something that you have to learn as you go. If you've never been self-employed before, or you've never gone out and actually not had this fallback position of a, a certain salary every month. For sure. Well, before we go, I'd like to ask if you have had any awkward or embarrassing moments that you've, you've lived while covering soccer that you would like to relive with us? Well, um, I mean, if we're taking social media included in this <laughs> question, we could be here all night. Let's be honest. That's I mean, for sure. That's what it's for, right? Making a fool of yourself. <laughs> um, I was at a press conference quite soon after I'd uh, started going to the matches as press and I thought I was being asked to ask my question and so started to speak only to find that it was someone behind me who actually had a microphone was asking their question. Uh, so that was possibly not my finest hour. And I'd, <laughs> like I say, I'd only just started, so I wasn't really exactly sure of everything that was going on at that point. Um, but I, I honestly can't say that there's been too much which has been that awkward. Um, I guess I've just been a little bit lucky. I hope I'm not talking it up for next time I go to the game or anything <laughs> like that. But, uh, well, if it Hopefully that's about the worst of it. You'll have to update us if that, if that happens. Oh, sure to do so. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much for joining us and, and talking about your job and, and your career and everything. Where can no people problem. go to find you and find your work and support you? Uh, well, this is Anfield. If you're interested in Liverpool, as you should be, of course, um, just drop that in there. But uh, basically on social media is where you can find me. Most of all on Twitter, but I also have a Facebook page. Um, Twitter is just my entire name, at Carl Matchett. And Facebook is exactly that with football tacked on the end. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the international break weekend. <laughs> thanks very much. Big thanks to Carl for giving us some time out of his busy schedule. 
Like he said, you can find him on Twitter as at Carl Matchett with two T's at the end. And you can find this podcast on Twitter as at FC Nation Pod and online at FCNationPod.com. If you liked this episode, tell your friends and please be sure to hit subscribe in your podcast app and leave a review. Music for this episode was Avicii's Fade Into Darkness instrumental radio mix. See you later, everybody.